This, this is, is Yawa Radio. Radio. Oh, welcome to the Yawa Radio podcast. The Yawa Radio podcast is an opportunity again to listen to one of our inspirational, thought-provoking interviews that we have brought to the listeners of Yawa Radio. Yawa Radio is online 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We are your well-being and happiness radio station, bringing the feel-good feeling to every single day of the week. Check us out at yawaradio.co.uk. Now sit back and enjoy this podcast from the Yawa Radio team. Welcome to Jordan Space. Every fortnight, you can join me, your host, Steve Phillip, alongside Danielle and Paul from the Jordan Legacy team, together with some very special guests for an hour of conversation, music, and above all, hope. Welcome to Jordan Space. This show does discuss themes of suicide, and we'd encourage you to take care of yourself by stepping away from the show at any point, should you find the content triggering or uncomfortable to listen to. For support, please visit our website, thejordanlegacy.com, and our help menu options. Welcome to show 24 of Jordan Space. Shortly, we'll be speaking with this week's guest, CEO of Elite Mind Academy, Evelina Zemanevacute, who has a powerful story to share, which involves leaving her native homeland, a country where suicide was not considered unusual. Before we speak with Evelina, July the 11th was Jordan's 38th birthday, and following months of preparation, we chose that date to publish the Jordan Legacies Moving Towards a Zero Suicide Society Action Research Project report. Within hours of publishing the report and sharing it on LinkedIn, that poster received more than 1 million views and a huge number of positive comments. I'd like to welcome to the show our regular co-hosts, Danny and Paul. And Danny, I know that this was the first time you'd actually seen the report in its published format. What was your initial impression? Yeah, I think the report is just so important in terms of creating a vision of what a zero suicide society will look like. And I think the fact that it's based on interviews and conversations with those with lived experience of suicide and those working in suicide prevention, it gives us such a good insight into how this can be achieved and what can be done to achieve this. You know, it's clear that there needs to be significant change. You know, in the UK, we continue to lose over 6,000 people every year to suicide. And I think that this report and the research and the ongoing work being undertaken by the Jordan Legacy really helps to pave the way for change. Yeah, thanks, Danny. And, and Paul, our, our report highlights all the practical actions that everyone can take to significantly reduce suicides, and this includes government. How do you think we can best nudge government in the right direction? Yeah, I think it's important to remind everyone that Everybody can help. Uh, we can all help, all communities, all organisations. But clearly government has a key role and there are certain things that government needs to do in order to get those numbers down. And they're, they're set out in our report. Nudging them in the right direction, I think it's a combination of the will and the way. So are they committed? Uh, and we're finding you know, more MPs, for instance, in, as individuals whose lives have been touched by suicide are committed. And if they are committed, if they've got the will, have they got the way? Sometimes we, when we speak to politicians and people in government, uh, they quite rightly say, well, what can we do? So we've got to be, we've got to help them by saying, these are the things, these are the specific things we need you to do. And so campaigning and petitions like the three dads, being specific about what needs to be done, I think will help government. 
Yeah, and it's been great to see people like the Three Dads and the Learn Network campaign for specific changes in education, for example, and you know, receiving more than 100,000 signatures for their petitions, which have led to debates in Parliament. It's actually inspired us to start a petition ourselves, hasn't it, Paul? It certainly has, Steve. We looked at all those things that come out, came out of our action research that we where we need government to take action, and we specifically identified areas where it needs legal changes, it needs it needs a regulatory framework, uh, it needs uh, to be you know enshrined in law, and in fact we're suggesting enshrined in a, a composite suicide prevention act. Um, and um, yeah, we've we're, we've started a petition, or we're trying to launch a petition uh, to get those changes. And we've set out precisely what those changes need to be. Absolutely. And of course, Danny, uh, we're going to need you to be uh, promoting our petition. Yeah, look, the Jordan Legacy, we've always got behind and promoted petitions that could result in significant improvements being made in, in terms of mental health care and suicide prevention, such as the ones you mentioned uh, by the Three Dads and, and the Learn Network. And many others got behind these because, you know, they want to see changes being made. So, you know, like with ours, we'll be urging everyone to sign our petition. Uh, ultimately, we're all part of one big movement wanting to create a zero suicide society. So, you know, it, it, it's so much of it is about collaboration and anything that can be done to ensure that we reduce the annual number of suicides. You know, we all want to get behind because this is what will ultimately help to save lives. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Paul, can you imagine us being in Parliament briefing MPs about our petition and hearing them debate it? <laughs> well, the short answer is yes, I can imagine that. Um, the, the, we need to bear in mind that uh, it, it's it's hard work to get it up there. Out of 47,000 petitions, there's only 173 have made it as far as a parliamentary debate. So we all need to work really hard to get the 100,000 signatures. But yes, I can imagine you and me there um, answering MPs' questions, briefing on, on what needs to be done, helping them understand what they need to do and getting them enthused as well as educated. Fantastic. Look, well, on that hugely positive note from Paul, thank you both. Uh, we're going to take a break now to listen to some music and we'll be right back then with our guest, Evelina. Um, right now, we're going to listen to Human by Rag and Bone Man. You're listening to Yow Radio. We are your truly well-being and happiness station. Now, have you checked out Motivational Firewood with Steve Gamlin? Weekdays from two o'clock for one hour, Motivational Firewood with Steve Gamlin. And you can also join him on a Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 7 p.m. as well. Motivational Firewood with the vision board master himself, Mr. Steve Gamelin. Weekdays, 2 p.m. and on a Monday, Wednesday and Friday, 7 p.m. Join Steve for Motivational Firewood. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome, Evelina, and thank you for joining us on this edition of Jordan Space. Thank you for having me, Steve. No, it's great to have you here. Look, later we're going to be talking about the work you do in organisations with Elite Mind Academy. Before then, I understand that you moved to the UK from Lithuania originally. What motivated you to, to come over to the UK? Yeah, I have. I've. Uh, it was an interesting journey, actually, because I've never planned to stay here. So it was supposed to be just a short summer holiday, visiting some relatives. Uh, but by the time we came here... Um, those relatives couldn't really have us any longer. And um, I found myself in a very difficult situation where 
I didn't even speak English at the time. And I suddenly had to find work because I didn't um, have even money to buy a ticket back home. Um, but one of the things I did want to talk with you about today, of course, the theme of, of Jordan Space and all the work we do is around suicide awareness and prevention. And I understand that suicide is a topic that you've been looking at for more than 10 years now. I've also heard you describe suicide has been quite prevalent in Lithuania and almost treated as a, a normal event. Yeah, so Lithuania has one of the highest suicide rates in the world, really. And um, to, to kind of illustrate the severity of it, I think I know in person seven people who took their own lives. And yeah, when I was growing up, I, I really um, didn't question much because it's just seen as, oh, well, you know, some people have too much and and and, and off they go. And it's it's really shaped a lot of um, kind of those distorted beliefs about, you know, kind of life and uh, value of life, really. I think it's very interesting how um, conversations that we have about suicide, I think, really shape society a lot and our beliefs about life and, and, and the value of it. One experience specifically that really... Uh, left, uh, I think, uh, the biggest imprint on me uh, was a relative who was quite young, but his parents um, were told uh, not to have children because for some genetic in incompatibility, they were told that all of the children will be disabled. So uh, they had a lot of children who were born disabled and they would die within you know, a few months or, or, or within a couple of years of life. And then there was this baby that was absolutely perfect and nothing was wrong with him and and he grew up healthy and fit and he became a professional football player and at the age of 24 he had his family he had a three-year-old child and then he took his own life so for me there was this um um, reflection point and I was only in my you know I was I was maybe 12 or 13 at that time um, but really I could not I could not comprehend you know why someone would do this uh, in that case to their own parents and for me as a young person uh, that at that age I think it really kind of contributed to a lot of distorted beliefs about even you know family and relationships and like what does it mean you know if my parents argue does that mean that you know one of them will take their own lives or you know what does it mean if you know if I cheat on my husband does that mean that you know I'm going to be responsible for for his suicide or will I going to be feeling like this if somebody else you know uh, if something wrong happens in my relationship so I think it really took me, uh, you know, many, many years after to really unpack the, the history and the narrative of the entire country and what kind of stories we tell to ourselves, to our kids around this and, and what culture we are, we are creating um, as a result of this. Uh, Evelina, thanks for that. And that gives a real good insight into the, the, the sort of, uh, you know, the, the impact of suicide at an individual level. It looks like there was a a big increase in uh, the suicide rate in the 90s, and then it's been coming down since then, but obviously still at a, a much higher level than the European average. What, what, are, what are some of the reasons why, um, why that happened? Yeah, so 90s, it was very uh, kind of, you know, years when I when I grew up as well. I was born in, in 80s in, in the Soviet Union, and then I grew up through all of these years of independence. 
So 90s were really um, difficult years because Lithuania was fighting for, for their own uh, uh, independence and, 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 and that's where we left Soviet Union. And um, uh, there was a lot of turmoil economically, politically. There was a lot of uncertainty there. So it definitely affected the suicide rates there. But I think historically, Lithuania is very interesting case to look at that from, from suicide perspective, because Lithuania was always at the crossroads of a uh, historic conflict. So we were always in between, you know, in between, you know, Russians fighting Germans in between mm -hmm. Nazi and Soviet Union. Uh, and, and even even before that, you know, where uh, where different empires were fighting for things, we were always somehow in the middle. And Lithuania historically was very uh quite peaceful country and quite democratic, quite inclusive all the way from like 14th, 15th century when uh, when it was um, uh, the, the boundaries of Lithuania were actually all the way to the Black Sea. Because it was then kind of conquered and, and, and divided, there was this lack of trust because they were saying that people could not even trust even their own brother because mm. maybe one person is working for Soviet Union, other person uh, is fighting for Lithuanian independence, somebody else is hiding Jews, some other person is working for Germans and, you know, working as a, some political spy. So there was this real lack of trust and people don't talk till nowadays. People are not opening up around, you know, their feelings and, and sharing their honest concerns. Mm. So then because they don't talk, their outlet becomes alcohol. So you combine those two things, high levels of alcoholism and, you know, low level of trust and psychological safety. And you you result having these huge levels of suicide at the national level, which I think it's it's a lesson as well, you know, for all of us just to see what are some of those contrib contributing factors um, in a wider economic systemic environment that can contribute to that. I've read a few other reports about issues around. I mean, things like it's strange trying to explain the high suicide rate in Lithuania, bullying and kind of intolerance and a lot of factors which aren't about mental illness specifically. So I'm just intrigued if you can give us any other insights on that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think suicide in Lithuania is definitely uh, not linked very much with mental illness at all. It's it's really a result as a lot of different social factors. And, and like I said, you know, part of the history as well, uh, lack of trust, people not talking to each other. But also I think because people are not being very open and not talking to one another, then there it results in lack of understanding for uh, other people's lived experiences. And I think as the nature of that, it evolves into intolerance and, and, and lack of empathy towards others, which I, I think also contributes uh, to that. And definitely, I think Lithuania is also very, you know, we don't have... Um, it's it's a lack of diversity, lack of diverse individuals, but also kind of lack of diverse thinking, and therefore anyone who is speaking up against um, kind of commonly believe uh, established norms and 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 um, uh, cultural beliefs um, is not necessarily being heard and accepted and tolerated. So there is there is um, a lot of um, cruelty, I would say, in a way, towards uh, one another. 
I've heard you say uh, a little earlier that when you first came to the UK, you didn't speak any English. You were, you were trying to fit into a very different culture and faced many challenges in the early days. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the research you started to undertake at that time? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I think when I when I came to UK and and for me, like my way of giving back to Lithuania was to volunteer at, at Maitri, um, Respite Centre uh, that supports suicidal and it's it when I was there that I was really struck with the fact that, you know, I, I was kind of battling through life without support. And, and yet, you know, I, I never felt this way. And yet there are these other people who you look at them and you think, well, you know, this guy has it all. And yet he, he's here. He doesn't want to live. So I felt really guilty because I felt what is it that I have that these guys need so much because I don't know what is it that I need to give. And some of the research, therefore, was really to answer this question, you know, what makes the difference that some people can really cope and thrive with those challenges and pressures and changes, like in my situation, and, and other people find uh, the same um, challenges really too much to, to the point that they don't want to live. And I've, I've spent many, many years then um, studying resilience and, and some, of, some of my early findings were really looking at, um, I kind of end up creating some of my own theories about different types of resilience. And I think we're looking at first at your internal resilience and your ability to self-regulate. So to self-regulate your emotions, your thoughts, your uh, you know, your impulses and cravings. And, and, and really that stems a lot from our earlier bringing and how, how we are regulated by our surroundings, by our uh, parents uh, in early years and, and how we learn to then self-regulate ourselves. Then the other aspect is about external resilience, which is about ability to adapt to different environments. So how do we then, um, you know, how able we are to change our behavior or our attitude or our beliefs when we, you know, move the country, for example, where we change jobs, where, 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 where some other life changes happen that we end up finding ourselves in a very different social environment. So ability to adapt our behavior and, and, and our approach to that is, is really, really uh, key um, in that. The third aspect is, is something what I kind of call, end up calling behavioral resilience, because as I was researching and I was working as a psychologist and I was working as a therapist with other people and, and you get involved in all of the personal development journey, you also meet a lot of people who, you know, are in a way like therapy and personal development addicts and they attend every course and every initiative that you can find and yet their life doesn't get any better, right? So they know it all, they know best, and yet they don't know how to translate that theory into practice. So there is that behavioral resilience, which really comes from the way we are able to kind of leverage different levels of intelligence, right? There is a cognitive intelligence, there is emotional intelligence, there is somatic intelligence, which are all of our subconscious habits and beliefs and, and the subconscious baggage that drives our everyday actions and intentions. So there's really a lot there that I think um, really answers why we are not 
um, you know, why we set New Year's resolutions and, uh, you know, we, we end up not achieving them, why we, the, we struggle to achieve our goals and intentions. So it's really interesting. And it, it really led me to study much more kind of deeper uh, aspects of neuroscience and our brain and body and, you know, why we do what we do and why we think and feel the way the way we are. I just wanted to say really just how important that is at a point in terms of suicide, I think. And, you know, people are so quick sometimes to say, oh, it's, you know, it's mental health, it's anxiety, depression that's maybe led someone to suicide. But sometimes, you know, it can be your ability to cope with things and your resilience that really will then can lead to that downward spiral into possibly anxiety and depression. But just how, you know, yeah, if, if your ability to cope is not very good, then, you know, that's ultimately what that can lead to, isn't it? So. Yeah, absolutely. And again, looking at, you know, why people are coping with much more than others. And there's so much to learn from that, because when we learn how we develop that resilience, then we can actually teach that. We can really extract that into processes and say those are uh, these uh, parts that make up resilience and these are the small elements that we all can learn and we can build in ourselves and in other people and uh, yeah those three aspects of resilience are important but also there was another aspect that I've learned later uh, which is uh, aspect of identity and that plays a huge role in our um, ability to feel congruent in ourselves in our body in our mind and it's not so much as the concept of identity itself but actually it's our attachment to different parts of self and the stronger we hold on to specific aspects of ourselves that if we lose it or if something happens to that part we um we really do feel dead inside let's say if all i'm associating myself is a mother and then my daughter grows up and leaves the house who am i now right so now that that part of identity really shifts and and if i have hold very strong attachments to that it really messes up with our mental health so so in the same way, people hold on to their jobs, people hold on to their financial status, people hold on to, you know, other material things that are, um, you know, transient in life, right? And therefore, if our attachments to those parts of ourselves uh, in, the, in that way, as, as a rich person or as a, as a CEO or, or a specific role that we play in a society, if our attachments to that are so strong, the moment those changes happen, it can really, really affect our um, um, yeah, suicidal uh, ideation. Well, look, thanks so, so much for now. We're going to take a break and, and play uh, a track chosen by you, as we have been doing throughout the show. Uh, this next song is called Something Like Me by Chris Clufford. Uh, not an artist I'm overly familiar with. So perhaps you can tell us a little bit about him and why, the, why this song is really special to you. Yeah, this is an interesting song because it's really a heartfelt song from the person uh, who felt that he does not belong in a society and struggled to make friends as he was growing up. And that song is is really reflective of that. So um, I think definitely it's it's really poignant that, you know, we live in a society where we um, exclude a lot of people and we don't often look at how this person is really feeling and 
understand what is their reality and what are they experiencing, which then does result in suicide. So I think it's really meaningful song for the topic that we, we are covering here today. It definitely sounds, Evelyn, and thank you. So let's uh, take a listen to Something Like Me by Chris Clafford, and we'll be right back after this. Now a question for you. Are you a parent or are you about to become a parent? Then if you are, I suggest you tune in to Parent Talk with Libby Steggles Gin every second Wednesday of the month right here on Yawa Radio at 8pm. Join Libby, who is known as the Emoji Coach, works with parents and children alike for Parent Talk the second Wednesday of every month right here on Yawa Radio at 8pm. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with our guest, CEO of Elite Mind Academy, Evelina Zimmer-Nevertute. Evelina, I can see from your LinkedIn profile that during the past eight to 10 years, you've held management roles with companies like pret manger before getting into training leadership and management programs. In January 2016, you founded Be Your Light, where you started to move into corporate well-being and organizational learning and development. You continue to develop those leadership skills in other roles. And then in 2019, you founded Elite Mind Limited, which has now led you to co-founding Elite Mind Academy. Now, that organization is described as a startup on a mission to enable a better future for our health and well-being. Can you tell us more about the work of Elite Mind Academy? Yeah, so all of all of this really was kind of a natural evolution of, of me, um, kind of been doing this parallel work right on one hand I was supporting people who are suicidal people who are suffering with mental health conditions and and doing that in in one-to-one therapeutic set setting on other hand then um my my career and my work at Pred kind of led me to to do this leadership development work and I ended up helping companies scale by developing their their talent internally and their leadership capacity uh, but it's only when I um, had a tumor um, and after the operation um, and actually the night before the operation, you know, where you are given this agreement to sign, sign here for all the, all the consequences of this operation, including your own death, uh, that I really, um, it really leads you reevaluating, you know, how did I get here and how did I achieve all of the success and, and you know, this corporate work that, that I've been doing? I mean, all I achieved was with so many sacrifices, right? I sacrificed my, my relationships, my, um, my health. Um, I really regretted not spending time with my little daughter, who was then, I think, six. And I was looking at her and I was thinking, you know, if this is really my last day here, what is she going to remember of me? And, you know, mommy is always working. So for me, I, I made that promise to myself and, and I was full of regret that if, if I wake up after this, I have to find a new way of um, living and, and, and working. And, and it's after that that I ended up combining those two extremes of, of uh, therapeutic work and this kind of high performance leadership. And that's where I established my elite mind consultancy saying, well, you know, let's still grow and scale businesses, but let's do it without the human cost. And I've been doing that work. Uh, since and I still continue doing that. But it's been very interesting shift that happened that at some point, um, a lot of other coaches, therapists, a lot of, you know, what I call heart-centered professionals who are there helping others 
they were coming up to me uh, asking for help and support with running their businesses. So initially, when I uh, co-founded Elite Mind Academy with, uh, with other uh, colleagues uh, that were more in a tech and development background, our initial idea was really just to create a platform of support for other professionals that would allow them to run their businesses more effectively all, with all the tools in one place. But as it evolved, we ended up combining all of the work that I've done before and all of the organizational development and mental health support into that. And it evolved into, um, into a mission really to change the landscape of how we work and how we support our employees in, in our workplaces. Um, and yeah, recently we've we've got funding from uh, Innovate UK to design uh, national guidelines and implementation framework for organizational well-being strategy, which is uh, which is a, an, an interesting and a very responsible piece of work. Uh, and I'm I'm really privileged to be to be able to um, to address those kind of challenges. Evelyn, as you know, uh, the Jordan Legacy has a primary focus on, on suicide prevention. Steve and I do a lot of work with businesses who are increasingly, thankfully, wanting to address well-being, mental health. They get a bit of a nosebleed when we start talking about mental illness, and then they completely switch off and push back when we start talking about suicide and suicide prevention. So we have to find creative ways to get into conversation. To what extent in your work, if at all, do you specifically uh, incorporate suicide and suicide prevention or, or, or where might it come up in, in those conversations? Yeah, I think definitely it's very important topic and it has to be included and considered um, when we talk about uh, wider health and well-being of employees and organization. Uh, but absolutely, uh, like you you said, there, there, there is a pushback and it's still uncomfortable for many people to talk about this directly. And my approach to that is looking at um, kind of what needs to happen 10 steps before that. So mm -hmm. instead of just looking at suicide prevention, we look at the opposite of that. What does it mean to um, have to live meaningful, healthy, fulfilling life, right? Where everyone wants to live and, and uh, enjoy their life fully and what it takes to build that. So I think, you know, there are kind of two sides of the coin when we look at, you know, the downside of not uh, leading that meaningful, fulfilling, productive life can lead into someone feeling suicidal. Um, and the way we build that resilience and positivity and inclusive cultures, uh, psychologically safe environments um, can really be an intervention. And I think my goal from, and again, from this kind of more neuroscience point of view, if we look at how we operate as human beings, how our nervous system has evolved to thrive through millions of years, it becomes obvious that the way we live and the way we work in a modern society goes against that. And mm -hmm. that is definitely a contributing factor for all of these mental health illnesses and for high levels of suicide and, and, and other you know, physical uh, illnesses that, that we create for ourselves. So definitely, if we take those, if we kind of peel those layers and we look at what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to thrive? What does it mean to perform at my best ability? And what does it mean to 
do this in this specific environment, in this specific organization, in this specific work context, what needs to happen next? So then some of those interventions and some of those support ecosystems can be really developed with this very human neuroscience-based uh, lens that allows every human to become their best and to perform and contribute at the organizational level to their best potential. Yeah, Evelyn, what type of organizations does Elite Mind Academy support? Does it um, Is it specifically tailored to different organizations and how does it work? Yeah, so it really depends. Because we are a boutique consultancy, we don't have off-the-shelf solutions. We do really build uh, processes of support for each company. So we can be quite flexible. We do work with service-based organizations mainly. And we tend to, you know, we say we support people who support people. So uh, very often we support other healthcare organizations. We support other charities. We support um uh, public services as well, and anyone who is in, in kind of uh, people-facing roles, so hospitality and, and, and retail. But the way, the way we work is that we always start with understanding unmet people's needs. And we do quite deep anthropological research to really unpack what are some of those diverse needs that individuals um, um, are experiencing or maybe not experiencing in that specific working environment. And then we do consulting audit at the organizational level to see how well this company is meeting those needs at the level of training and development, support infrastructure, uh, your organizational alignment and communication flow. Uh, we're looking at your physical environment and your uh, psychological environment and, and the culture in which people operate. Um, and um, we then create custom uh, reports with recommendations in terms of what needs to happen next to create your own bespoke well-being strategy. And I'm a very, very big advocate of um, health and well-being embedded into company strategy, into companies' culture, into companies' ways of working. Because we see nowadays everyone talking about well-being and mental health, but actually a lot of those solutions are very much at kind of tick box solution level, right? Here is your gym membership and, and here is your um, yoga class and, and this is your shiny mindfulness app. But really, if you're working in a toxic working environment, you know, if you're going through menopause, if you're being abused, if you are maybe in an abusive personal relationship, and maybe it has nothing to do with work, but that's still going to affect your work performance. So really, there is this kind of hand in hand looking at what is the individual experience of this individual in his in in their life context and what happens to that experience when that person comes to work and how it affects uh their their experience but also what is their work environment and what is their work experience and then what impact that has on individual health and well-being are you finding that um, given the depth that you go to with the type of work you do, are companies getting it? Do they understand it? Um, how easy is it to kind of break through that threshold and say, you know, this is what we're about. This is what we can offer. And it's not just about a shiny app or a yoga class. Uh, how receptive are companies to to your approach? 
Yeah, absolutely. So it really depends. I think it really depends on the leadership. And sometimes we do have to be ruthless and choose, you know, whether we want to work with this organization or not, because, you know, they might uh, say that we want this, you know, well-being intervention. But the moment you start talking about, you know, complete restructuring of your company's structure and reporting lines and the training and development processes and, you know, governance and compliance and, and the safe spaces for people to open up and the links to professionals to go to, then they realize that it is actually a, a big piece of work that it's not just, you know, so much easier just to say, here is your app and it's got nothing to do with us. Here is Samaritan's number. Off you go, call them. You know, it's nothing to do with us. So I think, you know, there is a lot of kind of, you know, we wash our hands off here. It's not our responsibility. Let somebody else deal with that. And um, the, the biggest shift I think really happened after the pandemic because, um, there is a re realization that personal life and work is no longer separate, right? People work from, from their homes. People want more flexibility to support their, their families their, and their loved ones. And there, there is recognition that something needs to change, but organizations don't know what to do and where to start. So I think that's where our work becomes really valuable because we really take them by hand, step by step on the journey. And we create, you know, bespoke plans to say, this is what needs to happen in the next year, right? And this is the most urgent thing to address. And this is a nice to have. And this is a crucial piece that needs to be addressed as a priority. Because of course, when we look at the organizational change, it can become huge piece of work and and companies would not be willing to engage if you illustrate this as a as this big beast that needs to be uh, tackled here but if you break it down in a smaller steps and uh, very clear categories of diagnostic criteria that, like we have in our consultancy then it really gives people hope that you know what we can do this it doesn't require you know huge cost you know uh, Many companies will excuse not engaging with mental health and well-being support because they will say, well, we don't need, we don't have a budget for external support and so on. But our approach is really to build that internal capacity and internal resilience of organization to provide as much of that internally, strategically by restructuring your ways of working, by adjusting some habits and behavior and cultures and um it's um, it's not as difficult uh, as it seems. Evelina, as we come towards the end of our conversation today, it's, it's been a real pleasure talking with you and learning about your story and the work that you're doing as well. Now, we always like to end our shows on a message of hope, a word you referred to a moment ago. And I just wonder what your message of hope would be, perhaps in this case to someone who is listening to the show, who, like you those years ago, is just starting out maybe in a completely new culture, maybe it's a new work culture, maybe it's a new country or um, somewhere they're unfamiliar with and perhaps feeling uncertain about their place in the world. What's your message of hope for that person? Yeah, I think I think that, you know, we can have it all and we can do it all if we are brave enough to ask for help and if we are brave enough to ask right questions of ourselves and others. And it's the quality of those questions that then define the quality of answers that we have. Um, and for me, I think what helped me, you know, when I came to UK and when I had to start everything from 
from ground zero in, in, a, in a country without even speaking the language is never asking if questions, right? Can I do this or can I not? Because the moment we start doubting ourselves, you know, our subconscious brain will give us all sort of judgment and justification. Why am I not good enough? Why I can't do this? Why I shouldn't be here? But if we ask ourselves how questions, how can I have this hope? How can I have meaningful life? How can I work in a different way? Then it's much more possible for us to find the right answers and the right solutions. So don't ask whether you can do this or not. Ask how, and then um, the world will show you the way. Evelyn, uh, before we let you go, we're going to be playing another couple of tracks uh, today. We're going to finish off with uh, Way Down uh, We Go by uh, Calio later. Um, but right now, the next track is uh, Believer by Imagine Dragons. Tell us a little bit about this this track. Yeah, this um, I've, I've read a story about uh, the author of the song and what inspired him to write it. And, and this person suffering with, with chronic uh, conditions that um, results in very, very strong pain. And he was telling the story of lessons that we learn from the most painful experiences. And I think that really resonates with me because with all of the research that I've been doing about neuroscience and the lessons we learn uh, um, um, about ourselves and, and, and from life, it's really... Um, our resilience and our uh, kind of willingness to stay strong and, and to continue and keep going, it's not shaped as much by what happens to us, but by the lessons we take out of those experiences. And I think this song is really about that. Fantastic. Well, I think there's been some great lessons for us all to take away from today, Evelina. Thanks so much. Real pleasure having you on board. Let's uh, take a, a listen now to Believer by Imagine Dragons. And we'll be right back after this uh, with Danny and Paul to have a roundup of today's show. You're listening to Yawa Radio. A big thank you for choosing Yawa Radio and make it as your number one. Now, let's talk resilience. Well, let's talk Russell's Resilience Radio Show. Uh, join the resilience coach, Russell Harvey, every Saturday and Sunday from 3 till 6 p.m. for Russell's Resilience Radio Show. Russell plays some great music and shares some great information and tips all about helping you become more resilient join russell from 3 p.m every saturday and sunday for russell's resilience radio show welcome back everyone and uh, we're just listening to believer by imagine dragons um well danny and paul uh, fascinating interview with uh, with evelina and particularly hearing about her experience of her home country and uh, that journey really from when she came to the uk what uh, what were some of the key things that you've taken away from our conversation with Evelina today, Paul? Well, three, three things I would say. One, first one is that, um, you know, the situation in Lithuania, which is not a country I really know much about or knew anything about until <laughs> we knew that we were going to be talking about it on the show. But I think importantly, you know, we do need to learn from other countries. You know, there's enormous variation in suicide rates and, some are going up and some are coming down and we've got to look at, you know, what's working, what's not working in other countries. Second point was uh, talking about Evelina coming to the UK for the first time, not having the language, etc. I mean, I've seen that firsthand um, with people moving countries, 
and it's it's a huge adjustment and people need support at that time it can be a very difficult time and then thirdly of course just the work that Evelina's doing and how she speaks so um you know so clearly and um uh, and in such an informed way about a lot of these issues organizations face as well as people clearly you know they've got a lot to offer and and danny what about yourself what what did you take away from our conversation with evelina yeah, I think what really struck me about what Evelina said was was the need to have this sort of person-centred approach when it comes to mental health and suicide prevention. So look, looking at all the different aspects of an individual, you know, from neuroscience to resilience to people's ability to cope with life's challenges and, and then how this transfers to the workplace and everything that might affect a person's ability to function well at work and just to function well in general. And like Evelina said, and, and in the work she does with Elite Mind, when it comes to supporting organisations, you know, it's really important to help them recognise what wellbeing looks like and help them to adapt to identify individual needs of their employees. So it's about so much more than just tick box solutions, like she said. I think, yeah, excellently summed up. I think that is very much the uh, the point that came across really strongly for me as well. Well, that's it for another episode of Jordan Space. My thanks to Danny and Paul, as always, and to our guests this week, Evelina from the Elite Mind Academy. Thank you also for tuning in. I hope you found today's discussion interesting and insightful. And if you have felt inspired to support our work to help prevent suicides, you can make a donation on our website, thejordanlegacy.com, or get in touch via emailing hello at thejordanlegacy.com. You can, of course, engage with us on social media by following the Jordan Legacy CIC's LinkedIn company page. We're also on Twitter and Instagram using the username at Jordan Legacy. And you can find us on Facebook using the username the Jordan Legacy CIC. Now, you can listen to recordings of previous shows on our website uh, by choosing the menu Jordan Space at the top of the homepage. For now, from Danny, Paul and myself, we'd like to wish you a safe, healthy and above all, hopeful rest of your week. And we're going to leave you with one final track, which is Way Down We Go by Calio. A big thank you for taking the time out to listen to this podcast from the team at Yawa Radio. Remember to check us out live online, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at yawaradio.com. Co.uk. And if you'd like to join us as a guest on Yawa Radio or as a guest on the Yawa Radio podcast, we would love to hear from you. Simply email studio at yawaradio.co.uk. Once again, a big thank you for taking the time out to listen. This is the Yawa Radio podcast. Copyright applies. <laughs> <laughs>